We've all been saddened and disappointed by the angry and violent um, protests that have erupted in the wake of George Floyd's uh, death at the hands of policemen uh, in the United States. And we've seen how uh, peaceful protests have turned uh, hateful, violent, and destructive in the wake of his death. Um, the Board of General Superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene, that's the denomination of which I'm a part. We're a global uh, church. Uh, the Board of General Superintendents uh, issued a statement yesterday that I received by email, and they addressed this uh, to the church. And this is what part of this uh, email says. The last few days have been exceedingly difficult for the global family. For months now, the world has encountered the deadly effects of the coronavirus, which has affected our societies, our churches, and our families. Yet this week, the news of an older virus that continues to affect many segments of our society, and even our churches, has added to the world's grief. The virus of racism has struck again the core of our society, and we are now witnessing the many ways in which people respond and react to such a rampant disease. People are in the streets calling for justice and a cure to this sin of the heart that is manifested in violence, political division, and great suffering. And I want to address from a Christian perspective what we see happening in the United States today. So what are we to think of what we see and hear going on south of our border? And what should our response be? Well, we know that one way that we can respond as a church is to pray. But we also know that we can do more than pray. We need to be the church that Jesus himself died for. And I want to turn your attention to a passage of Scripture that is found in the New Testament, and it's found in Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to begin uh, reading from verse 12. And actually, I'm going to try to do it by memory here, but I've got my Bible uh, open in front of me just in case I get in trouble. Uh, In the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians uh, in the city of Coloss, we we call it Colossians, uh, in this letter, in the third chapter of this letter, he reminds believers, like myself, that we are citizens of another kingdom. Uh, That, yes, I'm a citizen of Canada, but uh, even more important, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, And therefore, uh, I need to take my cues in terms of my attitudes and my behaviors from my identity as a citizen of his kingdom. And then he says this in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then he goes on to say, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, the body of Christ, as members of one body, we were called to peace and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Isn't that a fantastic passage of Scripture? I love it. Well, in this passage, he's reminding us that we as a church, those who say that we believe in God, that we're followers of Jesus Christ, that we are a chosen people. God chose us, and he set us apart from the rest of the world to be an example to the rest of the world of how life should be lived, the best way to live life. Uh, We are citizens of his kingdom, and so God has established us as a new form of humanity. He's saying in the church, people should see what it really means to be human. They need to look at us and be inspired by how we live and how we treat each other. And so God has set us apart for that very purpose, that we might be a light in a time of darkness, and that people might be drawn to our light. Well, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, this passage reminds us that we actually get a new wardrobe. And uh, I, I've never watched a show on, you know, where people get a makeover and that kind of thing, you know, maybe where uh, somebody loses 50 pounds and they get a new hairdo and that sort of thing, and then it's a, a whole new you. Uh, Well, that's not nearly as important as who you are on the inside and how you dress up on the inside. And in this passage in verse 12, this is what he says. He says, clothe yourselves. And he's not talking about who you are on the outside. He's talking about who you are in the inside, who you you are in your inner being. You know how somebody will say of a woman, she's beautiful on the outside and on the inside? Well, that's what this is talking about. And he's saying that we have a wardrobe that we dress up in that looks like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So this is not a superficial makeover. This is something that changes us on the inside, and then it works its way on the outside. And it's interesting about those virtues that I just mentioned to you, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You notice something about them? They all have to do with how we treat each other, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to God, and how we relate to each other. Those are the virtues that are important in the Bible, the ones that tell us how we should treat each other. And then in verse 13 of this passage, he tells us how these virtues need to play out in our lives. And then he says, he says this, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. He's saying, if you do clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and so on, he says, you will tolerate each other's shortcomings. That's what it means to bear with each other. And you will learn to forgive each other. Um, in the United States, We've seen uh, centuries of grievance. We've seen this in other countries like South Africa uh, as well. And all over the world, we see uh, an aggrieved people, often people of color, uh, who feel that society is unjust towards them. And I can understand the anger that people have, and we should be angry with them. But we need to make sure that our anger is rightly 
place and that we express our anger in, appro in, a, in an appropriate manner. But in the United States, we see centuries of grievance and resentment because of the inequality and the injustice, the systemic evil that exists in that country. But the Bible says, and this is the message translation, that, that's a certain translation of the Bible, it says, be quick to forgive an offense. We need to learn as Christians that when we're offended by somebody, to be quick, where it becomes instinctive. Not where we have to force forgiveness, but we, we practice forgiveness so much that it becomes instinctive for us. So we need to be quick to forgive. And the question is, how do you forgive centuries of injustice and inequality? That's tough, and I can understand that. And I do think that people, we need to fight for justice on behalf of people of color, people who um, have experienced marginalization and inequality. But we have to do it with forgiveness at the same time. And that's a really interesting balancing act. You might say to yourself, well, why should I forgive people who've done me wrong, people who've offended me, people who've hurt me? And the answer is given in this passage, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. That is what it means to be Christian in this world, is practicing, learning the art of forgiveness. And that's why the, the Apostle Paul uses the word uh, gratitude or thanksgiving in this passage in verses 15, 16, and 17. You know, he says, and be thankful. And he says, have gratitude in your hearts towards God. Why does he say that? Because Christ forgave us. All the grievances that God could have had against me, the way I've offended God and used his name in vain, he, he forgave me. And he's saying, would you just pay that forward? Um, and so then he goes on in verse 14 and he says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The most important piece of the wardrobe is love. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience flow out of love for one another and for all the people of the world. Actually, love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Love is an action. Love is how you treat people. Love is an ethical principle. Um, and so what this passage is saying is that we need to let love the way we treat other people, um, we need to let that bind every other virtue together. And then he really says in this passage, and this is really uh, the thrust of this passage, he said it is love that binds people together. Uh, I read this in a Bible commentary, and it says the tendency of any body of people is sooner or later to fly apart Love is the one bond which holds them together in an unbreakable fellowship. If we don't have love, everything falls apart. Love binds us together as God's people and as a society. And so Jesus lived out these virtues of humility, compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. He humbled himself when he took on flesh, when he became a human being. He came from heaven the Bible says, and he came to earth and he became one of us. He walked beside us. He walked with us. He walked ahead of us. Uh, he treated us with compassion and with kindness. That's why people were drawn to him. And Jesus showed what gentleness or meekness was all about. When he was on the cross and he allowed all of our hostility 
and all of our sins to fall upon him. Here's what the Bible says. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And so we're to do the same thing. That's what the New Testament, what the Bible teaches us. What we see in Jesus, uh, the virtues that we saw in Jesus and that flow from his love for us and his forgiveness for us, we need to embody those same virtues. And so this way of living begins with us as the people of God. We are a chosen people, and we're to show people what it means to be human in this world. Um, God wants to put us on display before the rest of the world. And that's why he says in verse 15, I love this part, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I want to ask you, what's ruling inside of you right now? What emotions rule inside of you? He's saying here, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And he's not talking here about peace of mind. You know when you're filled with anxiety and you just want, you just want peace instead of stress? That's not what it's talking about here. The Bible does talk about that. But he's talking about peace between each other. Peace in our relationships. Working through our conflicts to arrive at peace. So peace here is not optional for the Christian. We are to be peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, in God's love, the Greek word for this kind of love is called agape. And in, in his love, God made peace with us when all we did was show hostility to him. When we shook our fist at God, he offered his love with an open hand. God, there was a chasm uh, between us and God, a great divide. And God built a bridge to cross that chasm himself. He wasn't in the wrong. He did no wrong. We did all the wrong. And yet he himself took the first step. And he traveled a distance across that bridge to meet us where we are. And so we are called to be a people of peace, to be peacemakers, but we've got to, and this is ironic, if you want peace, you have to fight for it. Peace doesn't just happen. It has to be pursued. When we see conflict, when we see hostility, and when we see injustice, we shouldn't just sit by passively and do no harm. We need to walk into the middle of it and see if we can bring peace between warring parties. That's what God calls us to do. But the first thing, before we do that, we got to make sure that we are a people of peace so that we don't become hypocrites in the process. And so we need to become peacemakers. In the United States, you know what the motto of the United States of America is? The motto, it's in Latin. It's E Pluribus Unum. And it's on the presidential seal. You'll often see that seal whenever the president of the United States is standing at a podium and speaking. And on this presidential seal, you'll see it, E Pluribus Unum. And it means, out of many, one. That's the motto of the United States of America, which we've come to see as the divided states of America. Well, can that be the motto of the Christian church? It should be. We are many people, 
And we come from different tribes, from different cultures, different languages, different skin colors. Um, there's so much difference among us, but out of the many comes the one. E pluribus unum could be our motto as well, and it should be. But that requires love. So in verse 16, this is what the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, but then we let the word of Christ dwell in us. And that means allow the way of Jesus, the life that he lived, the life that he embodied, let it dwell in us. Let his words and his way of life uh, find a home within us. And so this means don't just know your Bible, don't just do Bible study, but live the Bible. Be a living, walking, breathing message of God to the rest of the world. Then we'll be able to teach each other and admonish each other. And then we've got a message that we can not only live out in our lives, but speak with our words. And then when we go to church and we sing, we can do what this passage of uh, the Bible says. We can sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts towards God for all that he's done for us. And then in verse 17, it ends with this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you know what that means? That whatever you do in word or deed, the, the words that you speak to people, and the way that we act towards people needs to be with love. And it needs to be done in a way that we could see that Jesus himself would have spoken those words and would have acted in those ways. Whatever we do, do it all in his name. And so how are we going to respond to this? That's the question I want us to think about. We could join the hatred, the anger, the hostility, the violence. I don't think we're going to choose to do that. I hope not. Or we could just stand by passively and do no harm and say, you know, isn't that too bad what's going on down there? Or we can pray. And I think that's the first thing we need to do is pray. And the general superintendents of, this, of our church, our denomination, Church of the Nazarene, have called us to a day of prayer and fasting this Sunday, June the 7th, to pray and fast for not only what is going on in the United States, but what is going on around our world. I love the image of this sheriff, Chris Swanson. He was a sheriff in Flint, Michigan. And what he did is he went into this crowd of protesters, many people of color in that crowd. And here he is, the sheriff, and he takes off his helmet. He puts down his baton. He encourages other um, people in the, uh, uh, in the police force to do the same thing. And he says, we're going to walk with you. And they stood together, and he walked with them, beside them. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. I love the pictures of policemen and, and other people, protesters, kneeling together, sometimes praying together, joining hands together, where the two factions come together, and they make peace. It takes somebody to lead the way to do that, and that should be what we do as a church. So we need to embody what this passage of Scripture is teaching us. The world needs leadership. Leadership that leads with humility, that is compassionate, that is strong but gentle, uh, 
Leadership that is patient, leadership that is kind, leadership that does not serve its own self-interest, but serves the common good, and leadership that is always ready to extend the grace of forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, there is no peace. Without forgiveness, there is no peace. So even when there's a vacuum of leadership in society or even with our politicians, the church can fill the void. So let's get this right in here, in the body of Christ, and then we have a message to share with the world. Let's show the world what genuine community looks like, what compassion looks like, what kindness looks like, what humility looks like, what gentleness looks like, what patience looks like, what forgiveness looks like, what peace looks like. Let's be peacemakers. We may not be able to make an immediate difference or an observable difference, but that's not the point. I hope we can. The point is, are we willing to be the kind of people that this passage of Scripture describes? Are we willing to model forgiveness and to be peacemakers in a world that is torn apart by conflict? Are we willing to forgive? I don't know where this quote came from, but it says this. Forgiveness is not always easy. At times it feels more painful than the wound we suffered to forgive the one that inflicted it. And yet, there is no peace without forgiveness. And so, will you with me fight for this peace right here in the body of Christ? Let it begin with us. Are you willing to pray this into reality? Are you willing to take a risk and put yourself, if necessary, into harm's way to insert yourself into conflict in order to make peace? Are you willing to work and pray for justice on behalf of the oppressed and the marginalized? Are you willing to show your solidarity with those who feel powerless and walk hand in hand beside them? So let's begin with our own relationships right here in our families, in our workplaces, in our churches, and in this country. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because as members of one body, we were called to peace. Imagine a world filled with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. A world where people learn to forgive whatever grievance they may have against each other. A world of peace. This is the kingdom of God. We're never going to get it totally right in this world not until the Lord Jesus himself returns. But the Lord's prayer says this. You know the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. It begins with us. With a prayer. God's kingdom will not fully come until Jesus returns. But we can let the world see glimpses of his kingdom because of our presence in the world. But it begins with you as an individual. Do you know the peace of Christ yourself? God has already built a bridge towards you. And if you're a person here that's watching this message or listening to this message, and you're at war with everyone around you, if your whole world and your whole life is filled with conflict, and you find that you're angry and that it doesn't set, take much to set you off, um, and you're just an unhappy person, 
uh, no peace, no contentment. The good news is that God can heal your heart. The Bible says by his wounds we have been healed. But you need to walk across that bridge that God has built for you. So make your peace with God first. Then you can be a peacemaker. What I want you to do is I'm going to lead us in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to allow Jesus to change your heart. Because first, before you can make change in the world, you must be the change that you want to see in others. You are the message. And then I want to ask you if you would join us for that day of prayer and fasting this Sunday, June the 7th. So please join me in prayer. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture written so long ago, but still resonates today, especially in a time like this, when we need to be reminded that in a world that is embroiled in conflict and chaos, we need to be the church and we need to be peacemakers. You've called us to this. And so, Father, I pray today for everyone who is watching and listening uh, to this message, to this service. And for those of you that are out there right now, if you don't know this peace and this forgiveness that comes from God, I want to invite you to receive it now. God built a bridge across that great chasm that separates you from him. He he built the bridge so that you could walk over it and return to your God and to be reconciled to him. And so would you do that now? Here's how you would do that. And, and, And if you're here and you're, listening to this, uh, and you find that you're filled with conflict, uh, that you're in constant turmoil in your emotions, that you're, you're angry, uh, that there's just no peace inside of you, and you find you're just mad at the whole world, um, God can heal your heart. The Bible says about Jesus, by his wounds we've been healed, and he can heal you. Um, and so pray this prayer with me if you can. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross and you took all of my hostility and my sins, everything I've ever done wrong or said wrong or thought wrong upon yourself. And now I want to walk across that bridge. And Lord, I want to be reconciled to you to make my peace with you. I receive your forgiveness. And I pray now that you would help me to be a peacemaker to all those around me. And Lord, help me to be the change that I want to see in the world. To be the message of this passage of Scripture, Colossians chapter 3. Help me, Lord, to be clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To forgive whatever grievances I have to Forgive as the Lord forgave me to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart and to let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. This I will do by the grace you give me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.